It's hardly a secret that Judy Bloom is something of a celebrity here on SSR. We've covered a lot of her books on previous episodes and still have plenty to go. For decades, she's been a true trailblazer in kidlit, particularly kidlit that explores subjects that other authors weren't willing to touch. Thank you, Judy. We love you. On episode 231, we examine a Judy Bloom book from the early 90s. Here's to you, Rachel Robinson. The novel was a follow-up to Just As Long As We Are Together and focuses on, you guessed it, Rachel Robinson, a middle schooler with some perfectionist tendencies who is always being called too sensitive and too serious by her friends. She's doing her best to deal with the chaos at home, too, most of which is caused by her brother Charles, who has recently been expelled from boarding school for bad behavior. Charles is home and shaking things up again for Rachel, as well as her busy working parents and her sister Jessica, whose cystic acne is creating a lot of stress, too. In today's conversation about Here's to You, Rachel Robinson, we talk about perfectionism, the sticky business of categorizing books for kids, the self-centeredness of middle schoolers, the problematic nature of gifted and talented programs, and what happens when we force our family members into restrictive boxes of identity. We also try to make sense of a few confusing moments in the novel and talk about Judy's broader effect on the publishing industry. There is some discussion of suicide in this episode, so please listen with care. My guest on today's episode is Quana Jackson. A native New Yorker, Quana, who also writes as K.M. Jackson, spent her formative years on the A-Train, where she had two dreams, one, to be a fashion designer, and two, to be a writer. After spending over 10 years designing women's sportswear for various fashion houses, this self-proclaimed former fashionista took the leap of faith and decided to pursue her other dream of being a writer. Now a USA Today bestseller, Quana has been tapped by Oprah Magazine, Shondaland, and NPR for their best romance lists. Her latest book, Not Again, is the second installment in her Real Men Knit series. A mother of now young adult twins, Quana currently lives in a suburb of New York with her husband. You can find her online at www.kmjackson.com and on Instagram and Twitter at Quana Writes. I am grateful to Quana, just as I'm grateful to all of our guests for the time she took to read this week's book and to discuss it with me. You can help me stay on the roll of amazing guests by giving the show a five-star rating or review on your podcast player of choice. If you wouldn't mind, please also double check that you're subscribed and or following the show. Listening platforms do occasionally change up their interfaces, so it never hurts to make sure that they know you're a fan of SSR, especially if you want to guarantee that you'll see new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. Come say hey on social media too, and share that you're listening. We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. Speaking of book clubs, we are now well underway with our February read in the SWR, that's Shit We Read, book club in Patreon. But that doesn't mean you can't jump in now. This month, we are reading Marrying the Ketchups by Jennifer A. Close. Our pick for March is The Chosen and the Beautiful. I would love to see you in SWR. When you become a patron and get access to the book club, you get tons of other fun exclusive perks too. Plus, the satisfaction of knowing that you're supporting an independent podcast that makes you smile. Learn more and sign up at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Big shout out to all of the patrons tuning into this episode. 
The podcast would quite literally not be possible without you. Quana mentions on this episode that she listened to Here's to You, Rachel Robinson as an audiobook and that she really enjoyed absorbing it in that format. If you're a fan of audiobooks and haven't checked out Libro FM yet, consider this your sign to do it. Find your next great audiobook at Libro FM and use code SSRPODCAST when prompted to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Libro FM is a great place to buy audiobooks because it supports indie booksellers instead of giant corporations. The audiobooks you buy there will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. We love to see it. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Kwana. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. It's always an exciting day here in the SSR world when we talk about Judy Bloom. She's something of a queen, of a patron saint to our listeners. We have covered a lot of her books on the podcast. To writers too. Yeah, to writers too. She just, you know, we all love her. And so it's always fun when we get to talk about one of her books today. It is all about Here's to You, Rachel Robinson, which was published in 1993. And let's get started just by talking about your history with Judy Bloom. More generally, did you read her books when you were growing up? And if you were familiar with this book before you decided to read it for our conversation today. I was very familiar with Judy Bloom, but not with this book, which is why I picked this book. So I was like, here's, here's something I didn't read. And 1993 sounds far away but it, to some people, but to me, it sounds like <laughs> yesterday. This is going to give away my age because my Judy Bloom reading was with like forever. Yeah. And are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, which was passed around when I was a kid. And I looked up earlier the copyright dates of those. And for are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, which was 1970, which I must have read it way after that because I was just born then a wee toddler, you know, one year old. And forever was 1975. So it must have been still very hot when I, (laughs) when I read it. But probably, I'm thinking, what age did I read those books? They say they were for for ages 9 to 12, those books, but I probably read them at 8 or something like that, 7 or 8. So I've been a Judy Bloom fan for a long time. But I picked this one because this is something that I hadn't read because by the time 1993 came, I was long grown up. Not reading Judy Bloom anymore. (laughs) Not reading Judy Bloom anymore. (laughs) So I did read this book. Um, It's a sequel to another book called Just As Long As We Are Together that published in 1987. And we did cover that book on the podcast way back in, I want to say, 2018 or 2019. I will link to that episode in the show notes. I will also link to a few of our other Judy Bloom episodes, listeners, if you want to catch up. We have covered Forever. We have covered Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, Quana. So yes, I have recently had the chance to revisit some of the titles you mentioned, and I had never read Forever when I was a kid. And so 
coming to that for the first time as an adult um, was a really interesting experience. <laughs> Were you a little bit shocked? <laughs> I, I was, but it's so funny because I worked in kids publishing. That was my first job out of college. And I feel like there was so much talk about like <gasps> forever. It's like the Judy Bloom sex book. And by our standards, it's pretty PG. But of course, when it came out, it was like unprecedented and so progressive. And so we almost approached it, if I'm remembering correctly, from like a kind of clinical perspective, because that's how it felt relative to the like sex forward content that teens might have access to today. True, true. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm going to veer off, maybe veer off a little bit. Yeah. What shocked me about Forever and maybe Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, but mostly with Forever is the age range. When I'm looking at the age ranges of it, they say nine to 12. Yeah. And I think that's where maybe the difference is between then and today. I don't know if a book like Forever with that, with those topics would get a nine to 12. It might get a 12 and up. I don't think it would start at that at the nine-year-old age. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It seems like a weird glitch in like the metadata for it because I agree with you. Like I, like you, read all of these books when I was eight years old. So if I had Mm -hmm. read Forever when I was a kid, I probably would have read it when I was eight or nine. So I don't, and I, I remember, and it's been a few years now since I read it, but the characters are like late teens so they're, I, like, they're, they're, they're later high college. school characters yeah. so, and, and going to college and they put these very young age ranges on I think now the age ranges are much higher is what would publishing would put on them and that's that's what sh- shifted and changed I think in publishing is the age ranges has, has gone up not that not that the kids aren't reading the books you know right at the same time but I think with things being as PC and politically correct as they are now. And certain things wouldn't fly that if that, you know, certain language wouldn't fly, but the age ranges have definitely changed to skew upward. Yeah, I also wonder, and this is, I think, an interesting conversation about Judy Bloom's role in publishing more broadly. Like, I wonder how much of it has to do with the fact that when Judy Bloom first started writing for younger readers, these like buckets of middle grade and YA didn't really exist. Like she was just writing for whatever young people happened to find her books. And then of course, in the decades since then, all of these other categories have developed. And of course, there's so many amazing authors writing into them. And so I wonder, like, I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that when she wrote these books, like she wasn't necessarily thinking this is going to be for a middle grade reader. And that's typically like an age as well. This is for a YA reader. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, um, I wonder how much that has to do with it. Now we have middle grade and YA. And then there's this sort of like upper YA sort of sexier category that wasn't there before. Right. So I wonder how much of it is to do with the fact that like Judy Bloom kind of invented some of this. And when you invent something, Mm -hmm. it's hard you don't necessarily, you can't like predict how you're going to fit into it longer term. Absolutely. But I I would say here's to you, Rachel Robinson is squarely middle grade. What do you think? Well, yes, Yes. it's middle grade characters. It's definitely middle grade. Although there are just, I mean, it's definitely middle grade. It sounds middle grade, but there's definitely a couple, there were a couple of instances there where I was like, excuse you? I think this is probably the first book that I ever saw the F word in. Yeah, that. And and the cousin, the, yeah. the the cousin, she was a bit, she was a bit of a spitfire, and some of the things. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to take myself back. Watch my kid while I go out with a married man. I was like, yeah, that's true. That part there, I about fell over for a middle grade book. 
I feel like that part of it probably went right over my head when I read this book because there's a lot about these like age gaps in romantic relationships. But I have, well, and maybe when I read this book, I didn't even know that the F word was like a thing. I probably just breezed, I probably had never even been made aware of it. But I saw that when I was reading and I was like, wait, hold on. Like I either was deeply affected by this or I just kept reading because it was just like another word that I didn't understand. Uh, I'm not sure if that would fly now yeah. in a middle grade. Listen, I I write adult. Right. <laughs> I write adult fiction and anything can fly. But after a certain amount of time, your editor's like, okay, too many, too many Fs. Right. <laughs> so it can't be gratuitous. Something else. So I don't I don't think that would I don't think that would fly. Yeah. That was interesting. But what did you think of Rachel as a character? So we meet her. We had kind of been introduced to her for those listeners who are familiar with just as long as we're together. We had been introduced to her as this member of the trio of friends, Rachel, Allison, and Stephanie. And Stephanie was the focus of just as long as we are together. And of course, now we have Rachel. Fun fact, I read somewhere that Judy Bloom was actually really unhappy in hindsight with the title they landed on for this book because she was really struggling to come up with one. And she ended up choosing Here's to Rachel Robinson because it's sort of a reference to the Simon and Garfunkel song, Mrs. Robinson. But she's upset that that's where they landed because Here's to you, Rachel Robinson, is a line that Rachel's brother Charles says when he's angry. And she doesn't like that, that that's sort of how the book um, is presented. Gotcha. Well, I think it I think it's fitting, though, yeah, I actually. I think it I think the title actually works because I liked Rachel, but Rachel kind of annoyed me. OK, tell me more. I liked her, but she annoyed me. And maybe she annoyed me, and this will probably be me reading, not as a reader rooting for the protagonist, but as a mother. Okay. As a mother who have lived through who has lived through middle school years with a daughter. Okay. And and she was she was she was wonderfully written, but she, I could definitely see where she is a girl and, and it's all her world. Everything revolves around revolves around Rachel and she can't help it. This is her age. This is her world. So she looks at everything through her own glasses, even though she says she's not. She's a very smart young woman. So she is always trying to think of what the other person is thinking, but she's really looking at it through her own lenses. You know, she, she's super smart. And she's like, oh, I should be empathizing with this person. And I should be thinking that way. But it's really her her own internalized thinking. And she's looking at everything through her own glasses to, to me. Yeah, well, and welcome to my world of trying to sort of parse out my feelings about tween and teenage characters, even as an adult, because this is something that I continue to struggle with even nearly five years into doing this show, because so much of, of trying to understand the characters in these books is about, of course, like finding your soft spot for them and developing empathy for them. But we also know that like tweens and teens are like kind of difficult and often annoying. And I say that as somebody who was certainly difficult and annoying when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. So I'm certainly not like removing myself from that problem. Like, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. But I think sometimes it can be hard as an adult, especially if you don't read a lot of middle grade or YA. And I love when people come onto the show when they don't typically read in these categories it can be hard to separate like the parts of these characters that are just irritating to us as adults from the parts of these characters that have clearly been planted by the author as their downfalls or as their um, own weaknesses, because I think like the line can be very blurry there. 
It is. It is. It really is. But you know, I think Judy Bloom, she does a she does a great job of showing how it is all their world. Each kid, it's all it's really all their world. Even with Rachel's friends, you know, how the mothers are trying to like branch out and have a life and they're like, But wait, what what? Yeah, you know, what about us? <laughs> what about us? What are you doing? What about us? And you know, I guess kids can't help that. Once you have them, it's like you are supposed to be just all about all about them. I guess so. In their minds. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Well, there were a couple of things about Rachel that I really liked and that really resonated with me. And I think that I think that maybe the things that resonated most with me were things that I sort of struggled with in myself when I was a teenager. And so so maybe that's kind of where I came to such an understanding of her so she's this super overachiever Rachel kind of like is that person who has all of these humble brags and like when you ask her what her flaws are she's like I work too hard I care too much she's kind of that person (laughs) and I think it's taken me a long time in my own life to figure out like how to talk about myself in a way that doesn't sound that way and quite frankly like it's taken me going to therapy to realize like a lot of these things are not strengths and there's no reason to like (laughs) talk about them as humble brags but like Rachel when I was a kid I really liked to be involved with a lot of activities at school I had always been smart something that comes up again and again in this book is that Rachel's mom jokes that she was born 35 and I felt that way for a very long time when I turned 30 a few years ago you know, all of my friends were like, oh my gosh, how do you feel about 30? And I was like, I've always been 30. Like I am, I am excited because I am now going to be the age that I've always wanted to be. I used to get that as a kid too. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, this part, I'm fine. I'm good to age. I just am growing into myself more. And I think there's this, I've listened to a few other podcasts about this recently, particularly Be There in Five has done a few episodes about gifted and talented programs and how especially in the 80s and 90s like they kind of did a disservice to students by alienating them and forcing them to like be othered by their classmates and look there are way worse ways to be othered and I think that like it is certainly a privilege in ways to be placed in that kind of gifted and talented category but I think that the way that gifted and talented programs have worked sometimes is to create animosity in class groups between kids who like are in and are out of those programs. And it seems like there's a little bit of that happening with Rachel. Yes, definitely. And I I completely understood that because, you know, and it's sort of that was was forced in her family to be her whole personality. Right. Which I did. I mean, I was one of those kids in those in the gifted and talented yeah. program. Me too. And if I fell out, I felt like, what did I have? So I got it. And um, and I had to do that all through high school, even though I wanted to go into the arts. My mother was like, oh, you got into the gifted and talented high school. You have to go there. It's like, I didn't want to. Yeah. You know, I had to do it here. You know, we had that in New York in the in the 80s and in the 90s. And that's what I that's what I did. That's what I had to do. So I got that about her, you know, and I got that she really had to work hard to sort of make herself fit in with her friends because of that. But she still had those same feelings with crushes and things like that and crushes on older, older boys, older men, poor thing. So sad. She's so confused. So sad. And and being the tallest girl, you know, she had her things, you know, that I totally related to her being the tallest girl in seventh grade. I was always the tallest girl from 
third grade all the way through middle school until I got to high school. And I still was one of the tallest girls. I'm 5'9", so I was the tallest girl. I feel like I was 5'9", from fourth grade on. You were 5'9 and 35 when you were in fourth grade. 5'9 <laughs> and 35 the whole time. So I got that. It was like, and you know, in those days it was line up in size order, which was like, why? Why? Right. All of these things that sort of force kids to set themselves apart from their classmates in yeah. a way that like they wouldn't necessarily choose to. I would imagine, Quana, that it's not like you were like, yay, look at me. I am the tallest. But your teachers and other people in power are just like asking you to do that. Or nobody's saying like, yes, like I am the smartest kid in this whole school. No, this is just how your school has opted to classify you to serve you in the way that they're best equipped. So I think that, and I hope, and maybe you would know the answer to this question because you're a parent, like I hope that those dynamics have shifted because I often, I was not the tallest girl in school. I'm five foot two. So I was never, I was never tall. I was jealous of girls like you. Uh, well, <laughs> I, but I did always feel, and it feels so, it's one of those things. It's like to talk about this as an adult feels so silly, but I do think that it has an effect when you're a kid. It's like sometimes I, it was, it felt hard to be singled out as somebody who's always being pulled out of classes to go to a gifted program or going on like different trips and like missing out on other things in school. And it was like, I didn't ask to be pulled out from class. This is just what the school can do for me. And I hope that there's a different approach to that now than there was then. I, I think there is somewhat, but they still have plenty of problems. Yeah. You know, there's still, I have twins, so, and they're grown and out of school and, you know, on now and goodness knows i don't know how we got them through it <laughs> Bare barely got them through it and and grown up but my husband and i are always like oh, how did we it was very difficult plus living in the suburbs and being part of the very few black students in the school it was just very hard my daughter used to come home sometimes and just lay on the floor and cry and it was just middle school was just always the worst and you know my son wouldn't you know he was just more of a go along get along kind of kid but I know it was not easy for him either I didn't hear the stories until way later of how isolating things could be it's just very very hard time so it's better but not great really really not great the, the separation of kids and stuff. I mean, I'm sure schools do their best, but they can do a lot better, a lot better. And and still grasping at straws. <laughs> it's like, I won't even start on a, my whole charter school hatred <laughs> of different things. We'll just leave it at that. We'll just... <laughs> I I'll, I, I appreciate I appreciate your uh your take on more recent school systems because it it I would it's very hard look and like I know we have a lot of teachers and educators listening and resources are limited for a lot of you but I I just think mm -hmm. it must be frustrating at every in every part of this system at any age and any year like this is just a hard thing the other thing that I really felt for Rachel with was everybody's always calling her too sensitive. And everybody is always saying that she takes things too seriously. And that happened to me all the time when I was little. Like, how could you not? <laughs> like, yeah, I, like how, how could you not? That is the sensitive time. That is the sensitive age. It's like, yeah. what are you supposed to do? You know? And then when people point it out, you're going to take it even more sensitive, take it more to heart. <laughs> it's like, there's a saying, you know, it's like, you want to, you want to, you, you want to, can I say piss the woman yeah. off? You can cut. You can say whatever you, you want. You want to piss the woman off. You tell her to calm down. You tell her like to chill out. It's like, what? Yeah. I will start flipping tables. Do not. Seriously. <laughs> right. Like, don't tell me I cry too much because I'm just going to cry. 
I'm just going to cry. Yeah. Because I'm eight. Don't be like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I'm sorry you took it that way. What? <laughs> it's like, that is the, the worst thing. So it's like, you know, she is, she's very much an observer and she prides herself on that. Yeah. Well, and you alluded to this earlier, and I think this is a good time to bring in her family because so much of Rachel's identity and her tendency to take things too seriously and to be sensitive and to be an overachiever is rooted in her identity in this family unit and the role that she has kind of been pigeonholed into as the youngest of three children. She has these parents who are very intense. Her mom in particular, I loved because she was this like really badass career woman. And I I think that even when I was growing up in the 90s, there was a lack of moms in pop culture that were doing the kind of work that Rachel's mom is doing and also failing at it. Like, I think that yeah. like Rachel's mom is imperfect. And that's something that Judy Bloom does really well with her adult characters in her kids' books. It's like, Rachel's mom is just doing the best that she can. And she is juggling a lot of plates and she drops them sometimes. Yeah, I felt for her the the most and then Charles the most, I have to say. He yeah. broke my heart. Yeah, the dad is like the quietest, but let's talk more about Charles. So Charles is the oldest. Yeah, and Charles is the oldest. Yeah. He comes back. He was expelled from boarding school. No, I wanted to wring his neck sometime. He, I really wanted to shake him too. So maybe I did feel for the mom the, the most. I felt for the mom the most, I think, because you saw her being so vulnerable so many times because she was she was doing her very best. Yeah. And she she failed sometimes, but not too much in her career, obviously. Right. You know, towards the end she did. But she was really kicking butt in her career, being put up for a judgeship and things like that. Deal. She was kicking butt. Yeah. Where she was failing was with her family. And that is heartbreaking. And I, you could see it breaking her heart. And I think Charles was breaking her heart the most. Okay, so let's talk more about Charles and why you felt for him. Okay, let's talk about I want to get your take it's on Charles. Darn Charles. I, oh. Tell me your take on him. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, Charles. It's like, I'm looking at some of your questions. It's like, you know, it's like, what parts did you like the most? And I love that the mother was so was so badass. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I really love that. And it was really, though, I listened on audio, which was great. It's a really great audio read. And it keeps you like engaged and you don't want to stop it and turn it off. But the part, and it's not, there was nothing that I like really didn't like. We can talk about some maybe sort of microaggression things yeah. we'll talk about that later but there was this tension that went throughout the whole book that sort of had me on like most of the book had me like my heart palpitating where i was very afraid for charles throughout this whole book yeah i was really really afraid for him he made me want to shake him knock him across his head a few times and be like cut it out stop it you know get it together you've got this Flawed but amazing family. You've got people who really love you. Your sisters do love you, though they, I thought Rachel and um, Jessica were, I think, a little bit too hard on him at times. I think they were, were you know, Charles, 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 but Charles was asking for it at times, but they could give him a little bit more empathy. But I felt that they worried about him a lot, but I wanted to be like, you've got this great family and you're really a lucky kid. You need to chill out. But he really was a brat and just pushing buttons and wanted people to like shake him and hold him and be like, we love you, we love you, we love you. But he couldn't see it. I don't know. He just had me so afraid. And thank goodness it didn't end in the fears that I was having for him because I was really afraid. I was like, Judy Bloom, please don't go there because I won't be able to take it. Yeah, I echo that. I, in my 
time reading Judy Bloom as an adult, which has now been a few years, I've learned and I've I've sort of honed in on the fact that Judy Bloom like invented this like issues novel thing, right? So like every book kind of has an issue associated with it. Mm-hmm. I actually think that here's to you, Rachel Robinson, now that I finished it, maybe is like the least of an issues novel. Like it's about a family. It's a little bit about perfectionism. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit about the pressures that we put on ourselves. But I would say like we can pretty clearly say, Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret is the puberty book. Forever is the sex book. Deanie is the masturbation book. Like each of her books mm-hmm. kind of is has been slotted in for better or worse into a particular issue that has it's sort of like come to symbolize. So I agree with you, Quana. There was a point in this book where I was like, oh no, is this the suicide book? That's what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, if this is going to be the suicide book, I can't take it. I don't think my my poor little heart can cannot take it right now because it's just there's been so much going on and so much suicides and people that I know and children and different things. I was like, I can't. Maybe I picked the wrong book. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thought. Like Charles was a very complicated character. I would echo what you said about the fact that there were times that I was so frustrated with him and other times that I just loved him. I, I think that that's such a credit to Judy Bloom's skill as a writer that like we are able to see through his hard exterior, even through Rachel's narration. Like we're removed from yeah. Charles and yet we still can understand him. Yeah. If there's anyone I would love to go deeper with and get more of a story, it's Charles. Like I would, yeah. Yeah, we could have gotten more from great him. Character. I think what also will and has probably resonated with a lot of people over the years is how in this family with three kids, like each kid sort of has their box that they've put into. Whenever you're part of a busy family where everybody has a lot going on, that's just kind of what happens naturally. And Rachel is like the perfect one. Jessica is a little bit more social and outgoing, but she's dealing with a lot of her own insecurities. And Charles is like, and I say this with scare quotes, like the bad one, yeah. you know, he's been off at boarding school because he's been expelled from schools locally. And he just like kind of can't get his act together. And now he's back. And I think to your point, it's like Jessica and Rachel were not even willing to give him a chance. Like there were times when it was clear to me that he was actually trying to be nice to them. He was complimenting them and it seemed genuine and he was being honest. And they were so quick to just assume that he was being sarcastic. And so I think that this book shows us how quick we are to just like pigeonhole people in our own families and mm-hmm. and groups of loved ones and label them and right. not want to give them that space to like let them back in you know or just to love them unconditionally even through their flaws you know what I mean it's like oh you're just this or you're just that but at certain you know especially as siblings you know at certain points you you just got to be like okay agree to disagree but I love you anyway you know I'm the oldest in my family with brothers. And honestly, we couldn't be more, we could not be more different in personalities, things we like and get along with and this and that. And the, the one closest to me, Nate, sometimes he'll, he will call me and like, he's kind of the, I would say, hopefully he won't listen to this, but if he does, he knows this, like whatever I say, it's like, not that I haven't said it before. <laughs> and he'll be the complaining, oh, I'm the black sheep and I'm the this and I'm the that. And I'm like, just uh, get off like yeah. just, could you just get like we can have the worst fights and just get over it and this and that and my other brother we are we're 19 years apart like we're so he's the baby so far apart and this and that and so very different but in the end you know 
we know we really, none of us really have much in common, but I'm just fighting to be like, okay, we have nothing in common. We fight and we just have this like threat. And it's always like, I write to them like, okay, my not so little brothers, I love you. Mm-hmm. I love you today. You know, it's like, you just have to do those things. And no, we don't agree. And I'm like, you ding dong, you're just the dingiest thing. <laughs> you drive me to pieces. I can't stand you, but I love you. Yeah. It's so weird how you, we never outgrow those dynamics either. Like no matter how no. old you are, like those things follow you. And it's just so strange. We just, oh, they do. you never Everyone stop being pigeonholed. <laughs> it's like, you're the favorite. No, you're the favorite. You're the this and that. How do you get this? And we st- I'm, you know, over 50 and still do it. We one's in the 40s and one's 30s we all still you're the favorite you're the well how did you get this and it's like well you were mom's favorite here and you were you were nana who's passed away nana's favorite and you got this and that special it's like well you were spoiled and you never did we still have the same arguments no matter what yeah we can't get over it no we can't i feel like the robinsons if we were to visit them now all these years in the future they would probably still be having the same conversations i want to talk about ellis island because Ellis Island is sort of where everything climaxes with this family. I, I have to tell you, Quana, like, I'm not entirely sure what happened at Ellis Island. Good. Okay. Because neither am I. Not really We're going to have to talk about this because I, I posted on my Instagram story yesterday and I was like, does anybody, you know, tell me what you remember about Here's to You, Rachel Robinson. Somebody DM'd me and was like, I love this book, but I, even all these years later, I remember that I don't know what happened at Ellis Island. Okay, good. So here's what I think, here's what we know about Ellis Island. So Rachel's dad is a teacher and he's going on this field trip to Ellis Island and the kids all decide that they're going to go with him. Now, they're pretty into their heritage and Charles especially recently seems to be very interested in their heritage. His big birthday gift to their dad was to change his last name back to the last name that their ancestors had arrived to Ellis Island with because the their family when they arrived like they knew that people weren't going to be able to pronounce their last name so they changed it to Robinson and Charles like clearly wanting to dare to be different is like no I'm here to make you proud and I'm gonna go buy our old last name and the girls like are like oh that's lame like that's weird whatever so Charles is really excited about this part of Ellis Island like he seems to take an interest in their family history they get there They're looking on these like very early 90s computers, what I would imagine is like a very crude version of what's now. Yeah, exactly. Right. Huge thing. Just like type in, you know, your last name and you see what happens. And the information about their ancestors pops up. And Rachel observes like a moment between Charles and their dad, like they lock eyes and they get emotional. And then as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, Charles just kind of like jumps up, runs out of the room, climbs a seawall. Everybody panics. He jumps off the seawall, which again, this is where I was like, oh shit, is this the suicide book? Yes. Yeah. And then the dad catches him. Is that how you understood it? Is that what happened? Yes. He grab. He starts saying, "Give me your tire. Give me your pole. Yes. Give me your hunger, right. and all that." Like he looks at it, and it says, "Is, is, is it Rob- Robinski instead of Robinson?" Right. It says the names are Robinski. Okay, okay. As I'm talking through it, yeah. Let's make it make it make sense. It said Robin. Okay, now now the brain is maybe waking up. <laughs> Another sip of coffee. Well, mine mine is still sleeping because I still didn't understand what happened. 
Okay, because I did a rewind when I was listening and it still didn't go. It did say, it did say, I think it said on the computer, Robinski. Yeah. And then host Robinson. I heard the, the narrator say something host Robinson. So maybe this means, this is totally me talking out of my woo-ha. Maybe this means that they did know how to spell Robinski at Ellis Island. And they could have had the name Robinski all along, but the grandparents decided to change their name to Robinson right then and there in order to acclimate. And that might have been the thing that made Charles click and go off and go crazy. Interesting. Because remember, there was all this talk that they couldn't spell Robinsky during the book. Right. The, it just came to me just now that they couldn't spell. I think the Robinsky was, I think it was Robinsky, wasn't it? Something like that. Robinsky? Yeah, there were a lot of consonants. Yeah. During the name, with the name, and they couldn't spell it, which is why their last name was Robinson. So he said he was going back to their original name because the folklore in the family was that they couldn't spell it when the when the when the, when the great grands came over on Ellis Island. Da, 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 da. So maybe when he saw that in the computer, I could be totally wrong. People, please correct me if somebody really knows what happened on Ellis Island because I was so lost. I was trying to rewind it. I couldn't figure it out. But maybe this means that they could spell it and the great grands decided to acclimate to this Americanized name. And maybe in Charles's mind, this had something to do with how He's always, Charles is the, the most nonconformist of the family, yeah. and he's always fighting against how the family has to want to be perfect and be so perfect in everyone else's eyes. And this was his big, like, see, I told you. Why are we yeah. always acting like that? I don't know. This is just me. No, I, I like this theory. I think that there's something to it. I, I, I felt like I was grasping at straws when I was reading this section, like trying to figure out what it was that Charles was reacting to. I couldn't figure out what made him jump up and go banana cakes. Yeah, I couldn't figure that out either. And I also couldn't figure out if we were meant to be reading into his fascination with their family history for any specific reason. Like, I couldn't figure out if it was something that, like you're saying, you know, is it about his obsession with proving that nonconformity is like maybe part of his DNA? Like, I was thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe he wants to show that our great grandparents weren't conformists. Like I'm the one who's continuing the family tradition and my sisters who are trying to be perfect are the ones that are like letting them down. Like I, I was trying to figure this out. Judy. Somebody must know. Judy, if you're <laughs> yeah, listening. I'm like Googling. Charles at Ellis Island. Charles at, yeah. What is happening with the seawall? Um, <laughs> I have to say the fact that we are having to spend this much time on it I don't think we're getting it. And Judy Bloom, if you're listening, you know I love you. We have devoted a lot of time to you on this podcast. And I want to understand what you are going for here because it just seems like it's not landing for most of us. <sighs> we don't know. Charles. Charles is fascinating. I do want to touch on Jessica briefly. And then I want to go into what you were saying about microaggressions, Quana, because we do need to talk about what's not working in this book. I thought that Jessica was really a fantastic example of one of the many things that Judy Bloom does do really well on the other hand, which is to really legitimize teenage concerns that are so easy for us as adults to brush off because Jessica's main problem is cystic acne. And again, so easy for us as adults who haven't experienced cystic acne in a high school setting for however many decades, I've never experienced it. 
period, to be like, you're going to base an entire character around that? Like, that's silly. But it's not silly because when you are a teenager, that is a very difficult thing to deal with. And I love that Jessica's whole arc is about her feeling discriminated against, which is a very strong word that I don't feel great about. That is a strong word for it. But I liked that she was sort of- I would say alienated. Alienated, yeah. I thought that the fact that her parents were using the word discriminated was like rubbing me in a weird way. But I did like the fact that she was putting her finger on something very real, which is that like she's trying to get jobs and nobody wants to hire her because they don't want to have this- girl with cystic acne as you know the representative and that is a problem that is true I also liked that we get a whole arc about Accutane you know like I don't think I ever read a book when I was a teenager about Accutane and I you know I had acne like any teenager but I was lucky in that acne was not a huge problem for me when I was a teenager and so Accutane wasn't something that I understood until I was much older and I came to understand it more as like the problems that are associated with with Accutane. And it is, of course, like a very, you know, scary thing to embark on. But I liked that that was Jessica's arc and that she and her mom are arguing about Accutane. And like this whole notion that her mom doesn't want to put her on Accutane because she kind of thinks it's going to build character. Or at least that's how Jessica perceives it. Like, I'm sure that the mom actually is like, I don't want you to go on Accutane because it can be dangerous. But Jessica's perception, right. Jessica's perception is like, no, mom, you want me to live with this because you lived with it. And now you tell us that that's why you're a successful lawyer. And that is so freaking real when you're a teenager to be like. Which is so how a kid would think. Yes. It is true. And and, And the mother would be like, you're out of your mind. Right. It's like, what? You are so, yes, that's so how a kid would think. And as a mother, you'd be like, oh God, I cannot win. These kids are driving me mad, you know? But it is definitely how a kid would think. And you're like, oh. and then the kid would know, I- I'm telling you, Jessica knew that her mother really didn't think that, that her mother was looking after her health. They always know, but they also know which buttons to push. Like they know that in the realm of things, her mother is thinking about her health, but this is really serious to her and it's breaking her, it's breaking her heart. It, that was such a, a tough arc. It was hard. It was and hard. then to like, you know, idolize the other woman. It's like, oh, take that knife and just oh, twist it, twist it, twist it. Yeah, there was one line and I feel like this is gonna be a further, um twist of the knife in your back because you're a parent. But I, I have to read this because I think this this is a line that we can all probably bring to therapy at some point in our lives. The line is this. It's funny how people think life would be perfect if only they had different parents. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> that, 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 oh Isn't that, what, doesn't that just say it all? Up. Yes. <laughs> it makes me want to just throw up. Oh, God. But we all feel that way sometimes. Yeah. Even when we love our yeah. parents, as I do, mom, dad, if you're listening, I love you. But we all have those moments. So I thought Jessica's arc was really interesting. The tension that um, Judy Bloom builds between the mom and then this other woman that Jessica is working for, who's like encouraging her to go on Accutane. And again, just like legitimizing this concern that is very real for kids, which is like, I don't want to go to school with cystic acne. And it hurts. Like that hurts. It's painful. I'm sure her face was like kill. It was like probably raw and itchy and painful. And it's like Poor you thing. just wanted relief for her. And yeah, it's hard. that was very real. Very, very real. 
let's talk now about what didn't work for you so well, Kwana. So you were a very good student and you reviewed my questions and (laughs) I I appreciate that you're here ready to talk about some things that you didn't like so much. Well, it's just, and I think it was probably a little bit of the time it was written in. And so just, it just struck me as sad and a little bit funny. Just, you could see, and it could be the characters too, but how this was sort of written in this sort of, I would say like white bubble of the 90s when, who was she talking about? It was one of the moms, whose mom was it? Was it Stephanie's mom maybe? How she's, who was getting divorced and going out with the gym guy, but how she's changed and how she was talking about the clothes she was wearing and how it was now, was it, it's, uh, oh, I wrote it down, let's see. Oh, Mrs. Her, yes, Stephanie's mom. And she called her, her peasant skirts exotic her Western wear and and peasant skirts exotic. And that jumped out at me so much because I was just like, oh, I cringed, you know, when I heard that. I was like, yeah, that didn't fly. Yeah, I think that I would agree with you. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, she's just wearing a skirt. (laughs) Skirt? I'm like, what, is she wearing a peasant skirt and cowboy boots and how's that exotic? It felt very, you know, it just did not hit me right at all. And I was like, yeah, this is very much like there wasn't any... There was no talk of race of this fam. There, there really wasn't any talk of race of any of the people. Except Allison is, they talk about Allison's race briefly because she's Korean and she's adopted. Oh, okay. But I feel like when they talk about it, it's only, it's very othering because Charles is like, that. Charles has that weird interaction with her, remember, where, she, where he's like, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm. What well, I don't know what why that missed went right. Oh, well, head. sometimes when you're listening on audio, it's different. Well, that's not good. No. Yeah, so he's yeah. maybe it's like um or no, he's the girls are at the house and he's talking about how he's done this research about his heritage and he looks at Allison and he's like, "What's your heritage?" Oh, okay, gotcha. That actually just occurred to me though too. I hadn't thought about that until um until that, you mentioned that. that because it is a very white world as many of you listening must have, must have like not paid attention on that part because i would have flagged it it was quick though like it was uh-huh. very quick and because yeah. it was written in 1993 there wasn't yeah. a lot of time like we didn't linger on it it just mm-hmm. was sort of unfortunately it was normal and i mean it can definitely be written as a character thing of charles because i can hear charles saying it honestly yeah but not cool either, you know? Right. And it's it sort of affirms it as okay when it's not explored any further on the page, I think is maybe yes. what we react to in 2023. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can ask this question, but I think an author now would perhaps, you know, give a couple more sentences about why that wasn't such a cool thing to ask. Why well, it wasn't a cool thing to say that, you know? And to hear Rachel say it was definitely not a cool thing, you know, talking about the clothing, things like that. It just seemed like this sort of, it felt, it felt very much like a '90s world, where I'm sure there were black people in the schools and things like that. But to me, they were very much in the background. Say, if we were watching this world right now, it would be Stranger Things without the black characters in the <laughs> yes. foreground. It would be that world. Yes, totally. is the way I would see it. Yeah, this is a very white upper middle class 
cishet world in which the woman wearing the long skirt is like wacky. Like that's what she this world is. That, yeah, she's 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 that wacky, that wacky mom. She is she's um, going through it because she's wearing she's a long the skirt. Elijah character. Yeah, like oh, she must be having a hard time if she's wearing that long skirt. <laughs> yeah, she she must be the divorcee. <laughs> exactly. So that's you know, unfortunately, that is Judy's tendency. Very much. These characters are very, you know, pulled right out of like, you know, the paper doll set and set right up there, you know, and you could you could feel that. So it's it's not good. But I can also see as an author that that is what would make the books um, bestsellers and very much mass bestsellers to the whole to middle America, the masses of everyone and being so relatable which is kind of wild, but this is me looking at it from the whole publishing standpoint. Yeah, and 30 years later. Yeah. So on the whole, Kwana, this experience of reading Here's to You, Rachel Robinson for the first time, but not your first Judy Bloom. how did this experience measure up to your memories of reading Judy Bloom when you were a kid? And how did it compare to maybe any expectations that you had of it now? I thought it was fun. I thought it was good and it was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed looking back on a young adult, well, middle grade, it's, it's hard to say young adult because it's still younger, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this family and reading something different, something a little quicker, something different, getting involved with these characters. I really did. Like I said, Charles just made me shake him and want to like, you know, also hug him. So now they're, this is a real family. Anytime I fall into a story like I did with this one, they're now real people in my head. So thanks, but I, not that I had so much more room in my head, but now this family is real in my head. So I really enjoyed it. So, oh, and Julie you know, Bloom is still a fave. So that's good to hear. You know, that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's a relief. It good. Did not, I'm glad to hear it. It did not diminish Judy Bloom to me in any way. So Judy Bloom is like forever a fave. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Other than here's to you, Rachel Robinson, I know you mentioned before we started recording that you've been reading a lot lately and reading maybe for some books that still aren't out yet or things that are already out. What have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners either to read now or maybe even to pre-order? Well, I have read Farrah Rashan's Boyfriend Project series. I love it. The whole series is out now. The last one, The Hookup Plan, fantastic. I recently finished Kennedy Ryan's latest, which was so darn wonderful. Let me tell you, we'll hold one second because I'm going to- I've been hearing great. The title escapes me now too, but I know I've heard great things about it. It's so, so good. I I just finished that one recently. It's, it's, It's amazing. It's on everybody's list. And it was just like, it was amazing. And I'm like looking at the cover in my head, but I want to get the title. Can it be like, what is what is the matter? Oh, before I let go. Yes. Like that. Yeah, and I am currently licking me with my new Ahead Reads fancy author here, right? Tati <laughs> Richardson's book. I think, let me click it. Let me see if it's the, I think it's the build up. I, I was like, I was reading it, uh, my preview, and then I was like, oh, Judy Bloom, gotta get on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the build-up Tati, by Tati Richardson. I, I'm like just getting into that, and it's it's so good. It doesn't come out for a while, I think. Let me tell you, I think it comes out in a couple of months, but it's up for pre-order. It's coming out uh, March, March, and it's like, it's 40-something-year-old, it's 40-something-year-old African-American architects. Cool. It's really cool. It's like uh, it's like I'm like already like so into it, and it's like it's fun. So it's, it's like kind of it's a rom com, but it's kind of sexy. It's really cute. So 
loving those. Oh, and March is March isn't that far away. March will creep up before we know it. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Sorry, March is so far away. <laughs> like where? Like where did twenty twenty two go? Like it, it, it started out like a little bit slow, twenty twenty two, and then like those last three months were just like goodbye. I know. I know. Well, and you had a new book out in 2022 that I want to make sure we talk about. Not again. Can you share anything about that book with us? Oh, I was like, did I have any books out in 2022? You did. You did. As far, according to my research. 2022 went for me. According I'm just like, to my research. Happened? Yes, you had a book come out. Congratulations did. on that book. Did. did you know? Am I the first to tell you you had a book come out in 2022? <laughs> well, I'm a horrible promoter. It's like it's big ball. news. Where did 2022 <laughs> go? I actually did have a book come out. I'm just the worst. That's how good job. Went you wrote a book. I'm just like, uh, my agent will be like, yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I did have a book out. Not Again came out in 2022. And 2022 is kind of like that because it's, Not Again is still very new to so many people. Some people who were like at the end of 22 were like, oh, I didn't know you had a book out. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going into 2023 and we're like, yes, Quana has another book out and it's called yes, Not Again. Let's, let's and you have to brand read it. new. Woo. Yes, <laughs> I had a book come out, Not Again, which is my second book in my Real Men Knit series. Real Men Knit was the first um, in this series. It's about the uh, so the Real Men Knit series. I call it Four Harlem Brothers Who Knit. <laughs> so that's all you need to know. It's not all you need to know. It's a series about four brothers from Harlem whose foster mom suddenly passes away and they have to uh, keep her knitting shop running. It's a yarn knitting shop in a really important part of the community. And each brother is finding love along the way. And Not Again is book two in the series, which is about Lucas Strong, who is the firefighter brother. He is Korean and his longtime crush from back in school days comes back, Sydney. And she, her family runs the laundromat across the street. I'm like saying it like it's right over there because in my head, it's like, I'm just waving for the people listening. I'm waving like yes. it's like right across the street. Cause right. I can- Juan is giving us like a landmark. Like, oh, signals. just go over there. Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> because whenever I go into the uh, real minute world, I'm suddenly transformed and I'm on the street with them because it's very real in my head. So this is Lucas and Sydney's love story about sort of um, second chance romance. And Sydney is a single mom now and how they sort of um, get together and work it all out, knit it all together. So in Roman Knit, all the brothers, they have their own careers and things, but they all knit and <laughs> run the shop. I love that. It's sweet and sexy and fun. I hope people enjoy it. I, I enjoy writing. It's it's a series that's near and dear to my heart as I was born and raised in Harlem. So it's the first that I've really said it where I grew up. So I love this series. Well, I'm excited for you that book two came out and we are relaunching it again today as a reminder. It's out again. <laughs> for reminding me of it. Yeah. I mean, congratulations. Listeners, I'll make sure that I link to both of the books in the series that are out and we will keep an eye for the other books coming in the future. Do you have a date yet for book three? I do not have a date yet. Okay. Let's, well, we'll uh, stay tuned. Let's hope that, you know, let's hope to Let's get people riled up about this and yeah. talking to my publisher. So right. I hope. Everybody I, go I read it. I have ideas for each brother. Good. Well, everybody go read it. And then we will keep our eyes and ears open for book three. Kwana, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about Here's to You, Rachel Robinson. This was so much fun. And I hope you have a great day. So Thank fun. Thank you. You too. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. 
SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.